0: Welcome to this edition of the B2B Engagement Podcast. I'm Gavin Finn, your host today, and we're extremely privileged to be joined by an industry expert, Andy DeLeo, who's Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer at GE Healthcare, and who has more experience than almost anybody else in the industry in transforming companies around becoming client and patient-centric. Welcome. Thank you, Gavin.
1: I'm excited to be here. I'm honored and humbled and...
0: I know we're going to have an amazing conversation today. Of course, we'll learn a lot from you and from our discussion. So, just to get started, Andy, you've had a, a really interesting and varied career, and it's come from both a healthcare provider to medical device, to hospital, and clinical environments. And I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about how things have changed in your career, and particularly as that sort of is informed your view of your mission today.
1: Yeah, I think there's sort of two sides to to my career. The first half of my career, the first decade was spent on the clinical side of things. So actually caring for patients, working with physicians and being inside of a hospital or a clinic and really understanding the importance and the magic that happens between a patient and a physician. I happened to be fortunate to do a lot of firsts with that. So whether it was being part of a brand new hospital build or new cancer centers, it's very quickly evolved on that side of caring for for patients and people and, and understanding that. And then the second half of my career, I jumped onto the industry side of things and got a different view as to how healthcare and medicine works. And what's been interesting about it is that there's certain things that no matter where you reside inside of the world of healthcare, that something is always inherently the same. And it's really about relationships between two individuals and their ability to communicate, to build trust, to manage through the change that we're constantly faced with. And all doing it on a time that, you know, is manageable to each of the, the various parties that we're working with. And no matter that ebb and flow that I've seen of going from paper to digital or going from pre-internet to internet, no social networks to social networks, no AI to AI, that is inherently the one thing that is consistent is that everything is really about the relationship between human beings and understanding them. And that's the exciting part of it.
0: Well, I think at the core of sort of every healthcare transformation, people need to be cognizant of the need to focus on those relationships. I think that's an important lesson. A lot of times we tend to be caught up in the technology or in the science and and forget perhaps about how important it is to not only build, but focus on those relationships as we go through delivering the healthcare services or or the research and the science behind it. And now in this role that you're um, in today with respect to strategy and marketing transformation, um, you're seeing an an evolution partially driven by some of the science, but partially driven by some of those other factors you just mentioned, the internet, uh, digital, the the effects of the pandemic perhaps, um, AI, And this transformation is a revolution, I think, in the way that we interact with each other in the healthcare industry, as opposed to what used to happen in the past, we'd innovate some products, we'd go and sell those products, healthcare providers and others would buy them and implement them, and it would be sort of a product or technology driven model. And in today's world, something that you've really highlighted in your thought leadership is the need to think about not just the products and the technology, but the ultimate goal, which is patient outcomes. And of course, everything flows from there. And I wonder if you might tell us a little bit about how focusing on the patient has been a framework and a lens through which you see the industry. We need to realize that the way that we think
1: and act and buy in a B2B space is very similar to the way that we think, act and buy in our personal lives. And traditionally, B2B, we have thought that we are special in the way that we approach customers. The way that we talk to customers has been very different than we would in you know, a B2C or in our, our personal lives. And the reality is COVID changed all of that. And so the expectations on how we show up and how we talk to our clients and our customers has to change. It's about what is of interest to the person that you're trying to connect to. It's no longer about the fancy, shiny box. It's not about the text and specs. It's not about the widget. It's about... What is their problem? What is their challenge? What is their experience? And the more deeply we understand what that experience is and what their problem is, then the better we will be able to come to them with a solution that actually provides value to them. And, you know, fortunately for me in the world of medicine and healthcare, it's about. How are we caring for that patient and how are we delivering the outcome that that physician, that clinician, and ultimately that
0: patient wants in that space? I think it's really important to listen carefully to what you just said, because what that really represents is a dramatic shift from us telling and selling about those shiny objects that you were talking about to a lot more focus on listening and understanding. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your experience from an organizational point of view. You lead an organization that's very large, it has a very prominent role in the industry. And making any kind of a change, I would imagine is a complex and sensitive topic. And how have you approached this with respect to the teams that you lead and the teams that you influence at G Healthcare and helping them understand why they need to do this, but also how to make that transformation as individuals.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of different layers. So I'm going to try and unpack that as succinctly as possible. I've been in my current role just under a year and a half. And coming into it, the first thing that I did is listening sessions. I wanted to go very wide and very deep into the organization. I spent two and a half months doing those listening sessions across almost 400 different individuals, and not just from a marketing perspective, but sales, com ops, all the various functions to really understand what the problems and challenges were. And I did the same thing with our customers. I wanted to understand from a customer's perspective what they were seeing, what they were hearing and what their expectations were. And based off of that, I sat down, I created that strategy. It's a multi-generational plan that's got about five different phases to it. I knew it was going to take you know multiple years, but what I did is I shared that with my leadership team. I shared it with the organization, uh, not just the marketing function, but across the organization. And I routinely continue to update the organization on our progress to date, what we're doing, and what we're trying to deliver back to the business, our shareholders, and ultimately our customers. And you know, it's it sounds easy, and I think in laying it out, it is, but it's how you operationalize it, and it's continuously showing up having the the conversation, but really first listening to everyone else's perspective and being humble enough to realize that people change and move at different paces. And we just have to realize that we can try and move as fast as we can, but we're only going to make progress as fast as our slowest person. And so how do we make sure that we get them comfortable? How do we make sure that they have a clear focus on what their goals are, what their role is in this change? And ultimately, where's the vision and the
0: journey that we're headed to? I think it's a great framework for everybody to think about as they go through a change management process. I'm interested in one or two of the key learnings that you were able to glean from the customers? What were some of the things that they told you that became sort of guiding principles for you as you laid out your internal strategy?
1: I think one of the key insights that we got from some customers, especially in the specialty space, so think in terms of like cardiology as an mm-hmm. example, is that they truly are focused on patient stories and patient outcomes. And when you start to realize and, and ask them, so you're interested about a patient outcome, what kind of outcome? Oh, well, I'm interested in the time that it takes to go from noticing that there's something wrong with a patient to having to make an intervention. And do I have all the information for that intervention? And how do you streamline that? So that way we're getting to the best outcome for that patient. When you start to understand that, you realize that it's less about techs and specs, and it's more about what their interest is and what their experience is. And marketing to interests and experiences is very different than marketing to techs and specs. So I would say that was probably one of the the first big insights I think the second insight came from the fact that there are some customers that they don't want to see a salesperson. They want to be able to educate themselves, get as much research, and do as much of the quote-unquote shopping of technology as they possibly can online. They want to be able to do it at their pace. They want to be able to do it you know in a asynchronous world and being in a b2b space we don't necessarily always think that way we think that the sales force is at the very beginning as customers are starting to think about the next thing that they want to do or how to solve their challenge with a
0: solution
1: especially in a post-COVID world, that has changed drastically.
0: Yeah, there's really an enormous amount of depth to those two key insights. And if we could just focus on the first one for one second, with respect to those interests and needs and goals for each of these buying entities, one of the things that strikes me as being fairly complex in an organization that delivers healthcare solutions to these providers is that the buying ecosystem has grown fairly dramatically and it's no longer a person or a small group's decision within a hospital. There's lots of different constituents in the ecosystem that contributes to decision-making. So it seems to me that you have that need to understand the interests of the buyer and, and what they care about, but you have to do that across multiple buyers who all have different interests. So it is a more complex and potentially sort of exponential challenge for the the marketing and the sales teams, because they have to not just go deep with one of those constituents and maybe it's the, the physician or the technicians, or now you have facilities managers and you've got the economic infrastructure and you've got regulatory compliance and you've got a whole variety of different constituents involved, IT. That seems to me to be another layer of challenge for an organization like yours that you really have to confront and, and address both from a marketing and a, and a sales perspective. I completely agree. I I think there's two
1: different nuances here. The first one is the buying center has grown It's anywhere from eight to sometimes 12 people that are part of a buying decision. And being able to, you know, either physically or virtually, sit at a table and understand what's important to a physician and how that relates to the finance team and to your biomedical engineering team and to your technicians and your nurses and anyone else who may be part of that decision, whether they're you know, the ultimate decision maker or they're someone that has a vote and can influence it becomes increasingly more important to understand not only the commonalities between all of them, but the differences. The second aspect is that we also need to realize that it's no longer about the sales function or the marketing function or the com ops function or the finance function. It's about we've got one team because we've got one customer at a time that we need to focus on. And so How do we work together in both a physical and digital space to make sure that we're understanding the needs of those buying centers and the people within them? And how are we serving up and delivering that information that helps them realize that not only are we listening, but we understand and we're here to help them
0: transition through that change themselves. That's, I think lots and lots of companies are struggling with this. And one of the reasons, I think, is because of the historical structural differences and incentives and, as you said, different goals. But it's become even more important that the customer gets the right information that's going to be helpful to them, no matter what the source is. It could be a digital source. It could be a person they talk to. It could be that they acquired from a webinar or from an interactive solution that they are interacting with or a person that they talk to at a trade show and different customers will have different preferences as to the channels that they use. And we need to ensure that that message, whatever it is, it might be about the problem. It might be about our solution. It might be about industry insights is capable of being delivered and received by those prospects and customers in all of those channels and at any phase of their journey.
1: Yeah, I, couldn't agree with you more the reality is that we all have to do more with limited resources and if i take in an analogy from my clinical world we always want to make sure that we've got the right diagnosis for the right patient at the right time to recommend the right treatment if you take that and you apply it into the the b2b space we want to make sure that we're able to deliver the right message at the right time for the right customer based on the problem or need that they have and helping them understand the potential solutions that exists based on that
0: there's so much that goes into operationalizing that because the key aspect of getting that right is understanding who those customers are And that's the first point, who are we dealing with? And what are their challenges in each of these specific areas? And then one step before we talk about ourselves, it's understanding what they care about, as you said, what their interests are. So when you're creating value propositions or value stories, it's not about the product or the solution that we're providing. It's about what their experience is gonna be after. And let's make sure that what we're proposing or suggesting or collaborating on actually delivers on that. And that's the transformation to a value-based relationship as opposed to a transactional or product-based relationship. I think that's another transition that the sales and marketing teams has to really wrap their heads around is what would these customers value? And so when we're designing a solution, let's make sure we're focusing on that. Yeah. It's a great point,
1: Gavin. You know, when I first started on the industry side of things, it was a lot about me. I made this, it can do X, Y, and Z. Do you want to buy it? And the reality is that it's not about me. Who is this for? What is the problem that we're trying to solve based on their needs, their desires, their experience? And what is the change of the impact that we can help them manage through? It sounds simple because it's three simple questions. It's extremely hard, and it's a more
0: elegant solution to be that simplistic. I think that's really one of the critical success factors to any of these transformations, but particularly the one that you're leading, which is we live in a very complex world, not only are our solutions complex, but the challenges are complex. As we just talked about, the buying ecosystem is complex. All of these environments are very complex. How do we create simple, crisp, easy to understand messages and information transfer so that we ensure that that value-driven framework is what we're leading with, and then letting the customers discover at their own pace and in their own preferential environment what level of detail they want to go to at what time yeah if we go back to the original economic definition
1: of what value is you know what do i get for the the dollars that i'm investing when you look at that from a healthcare lens they change that into what are the outcomes that i'm getting for the investment that i make i think in the connection economy that we have When you take that and you translate it to a humanistic perspective, how do we define value? The way that I've thought about this is in something that I call the four T's. So value to me is about how do you gain trust? And the way that you gain trust is one, you have to have transparency. So that can be open and honest communication. That can be transparency in AI modeling. It can be transparency in how do we do business. It's transparency on a lot of different levels. The second part of that equation in the the numerator is transitions. How am I or my organization helping customers, whether it's physicians, a hospital, nurses and ER, whomever that customer may be, how are we helping them transition through the problem that they're currently facing? And what's key to this denominator, the fourth T is about time. And it's not about my time as a seller or an OEM or a corporate entity. It's about the time of the customer. Like, What is their timeline? Whether it's their buying, what is the timeline for their change management? Do we understand that? And are we willing to do that? If we can manage the transparency, the transitions on the time based of like the customer's need, then we build trust. And when you've got trust, that's when you get the attention. And from my perspective, that's really the business that I'm in I'm in the business of building trust and gaining attention. And if I can do those two things effectively, I'm helping GE healthcare. I'm making an impact in the world of healthcare and medicine. That's the way that I think about it.
0: Well, I think it's a really generalizable and scalable model that really helps us understand what we're doing and does it how. where does it fit into those four Ts, right? What should we be doing that we're not doing that would lead to a positive outcome. And you do just related sort of two dimensions of value for you. And I want to get back to this a little bit for the way that you inspire your teams, because it is very clear that this is a life mission for you. Anybody who spends more than four seconds with you will understand. (laughs) that. And I think that that's part of what leads to that trust is this authenticity that comes from people understanding that you're actually there to help. And I'm wondering how you think about inspiring your teams who may or may not have similar or analogous life experiences to yours. Yeah, I think it's a question that I
1: self-reflect on very often. And to be very just transparent with yourself and and whomever is, is listening, it's even a transition that I've gone through in the last probably three to five years, you know, on a daily basis, I myself sort of struggle with my own imposter syndrome. You know, why do people care about the way that I think the way that I work and the the things that I do? But I fought through that. And I continue to, to fight through that on a daily basis. Because what I have realized is that by me being very open and sharing my experiences, whether it was, you know, losing my father to cancer when cancer is like my specialty, being a, a piece of humble pie, or it's coming into the industry and not actually having a marketing background, but growing in the marketing function and those nuances and anecdotes and stories that I have, what I found is the more open I am with people and I share my experience and my story, oftentimes people have similar stories to mine or they have a story that is relatable and they're willing to open up and share. And the way that I go about inspiring my teams, both internally and externally, is about sharing those moments. It's about sharing those anecdotes. It's about sharing those stories. And it creates an intimacy, whether we're in person or in a virtual world, where they realize that this truly is just who I am. It's a passion that I have. It's what inherently drives me. And they know that they don't have to be driven by the same thing. But what I want them to to find is what is their passion? What is their fire? What is their fuel? and lean into that. And if I can help them understand, identify, and lean into it, then it's better for them, it's better for me, and it's better for our organization.
0: I think that's a tremendous opportunity and privilege that those teams have to learn from you and be mentored by you and to hear not only your personal journey, but how they can make their own journey out of those same core principles. And I think that that's one of the elements that you talked about right at the beginning when you said at the heart of everything we do is relationships. And we can't forget that even if we're on a digital communications journey with clients or partners, even if we never meet those people face to face, there is a relationship that's built and, and you can't pretend in any way. And I know you talked a little bit about the uh, imposter syndrome, but I think if you believe and you live that authentic life, then... Those people to whom that relates will connect. And that's all you can do and should do. And I think that that genuineness also means not trying to solve every problem, not trying to be everything to all people, but to do those things that you can do and that you're passionate about, as well as you can to have the impact that you can. And it is important, I think, for organizations to find ways to live that at the Macro level.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything that that you just stated, Gavin.
0: I wrote a paper and
1: it was published in the Journal of the American College of Radiology as an opinion piece back in 2016. The essence of what I wrote goes back to my time in the clinic at University of Wisconsin in their Carbone Cancer Center. So Dr. Manash Meda was the chair of the department at the time. He was one of the top five neuro oncologist specializing in radiation and i just i remember as a student we had a backup of patients machines were down people were getting agitated there was a lot of anxiety and we had a call doctor made it down to to check something with the patient And, you know, everybody was just on edge trying to make sure that it was like perfect because they wanted to make sure that when the head of the department is coming down, that everything's just perfect. And I remember this vividly. He walked into the room. He could kind of sense the anxiety and he went through what he needed to do, cared for the patient and on the way out He pulled me aside as a student and he asked me, can you explain to me the tension that I feel? And so I was very honest with him and I told him, and he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Remember that no matter what happens, we can only care for one patient at a time. All of the patients need our attention and they're all important. But right now at this moment, that patient in that room is the only thing that matters and once we care for that then we'll you know care for the next patient and so on and so forth in that has been a seed that was planted in me before I even graduated and it's continued to be this thread throughout my entire professional and personal career where I've realized that that is the beauty of everything that we do. It's about a human connection. And with every interaction that we have, that's how we get what industrialists like to call scale. Mm -hmm. Scale happens on a one-to-one basis.
0: I think that's such a profound message because we have come from a world, particularly marketing, which is a sort of one-to-many mindset, right? And I think that if we take your advice, which is to combine the sales and marketing functions, treat them as one-to-one relationships, one-to-one conversations, one-to-one consultations. What we'll find is that that's how to scale, right? The In this new world where people need to be in control of their own experiences and we need to deliver consistency, but we also have all this complexity that's got to be reduced down to relevant value. And I think that advice is... Huge. I, I hope that our listeners can think about how to internalize that message because we often, I think, will try to take care of every patient at the same time if we're privileged enough to be a healthcare provider or try to deal with every customer or prospect at the same time. We have the opportunity to make an impact in a scalable way when everybody feels that they are the ones who are special. They're the ones who have been listened to and they're the ones who are being helped at that moment. So I I think it's a very profound message and one that I think is uh, hugely beneficial for the industry and for every practitioner in in that world. We are
1: here to understand and solve problems changes the one, you know, constant and as cliche as that is, it is true. And it's really about what is that journey to seek and and solve problems. That's what we're all here for.
0: Well, I, I can't think of a better way to conclude than your final message there to, to seek and solve problems. Sometimes we have to help our partners, our clients, our patients identify the problems in the first place. And and then our mission is to help them solve it. It's been such a privilege to talk with you. I look forward to more conversations that can educate me and inspire our audience together. And very importantly, for sharing these authentic personal stories and journeys uh, with everybody today. Well, thank you very much, Gavin.
1: I want to thank you for your time, your dedication, you know, doing the work that is risky and not a lot of people do. I'm just so humble and privileged that you invited me to
0: to be a part of this. It's been a, a great pleasure, Andy. Thank you so much.